today's episode, we're diving headfirst into the glitz and glamour of the Ballon d'Or ceremony. And who would shine brightest among the stars? Messi would win his eighth Ballon d'Or, but was it deserving? We should also we would also see a battle between primarily our England's Sharks and Minnows in the Carabao Cup, where we would have some upsets in this year's round of 16. And of course, you can't ignore the elephant in the room. What on earth is happening at Manchester United this season? Is it tactical turmoil, a crisis of confidence, or just bad ownership? So grab your favorite brew, settle in, and join us as we attempt to unravel the mystery behind the struggles of one of football's powerhouses. I'm Redbeard, joined by my all-time partner in crime, Targo. How's it going, guys? This is an all-new episode of Brews and Banter FC, and it starts right now. How's it going, man? What's up, man? Good. How how are you? I'm doing fan-freaking-tastic. What are you drinking, more importantly? I'm drinking Snowgaze, the new cold IPA from No Lie. Just came out this week. Very excited. And how is it? Give us a taste. You know, it's very smooth for an IPA, but it's it's very hoppy. Like, very, <laughs> very hoppy. Yeah. Yeah, you can keep uh, that one would, then. Uh, yeah, six out of ten, probably, maybe six, six and okay. a half. Yeah, it's very hoppy, very it's light for an IPA, so I think it's good. Six point five percent. I was just about to ask you that. You read my mind. Yep. What do you well, drink? Drew, Drew Brew Hefeweizen. Hey, straight out of Yakima. Straight out of Yakima. So I did have a sip as I was pouring. I. May have poured a little too quickly and had a little foam come come out of the mug, but like I'll give it another volcano. sip that's not foam. I like that. Yeah. I've had that one before. It's, it's light, very, but it's got good flavor. Good. Yeah, it's very good. I feel like with Hefs, man, they can either be hit or miss, too. Yeah, I think it all depends on how much hops get used, because, like, Widmer's is not very good. Oh, I love uh, windmares. Pyramids, remember that? Pyramids, Hefeweizen. I think I like both of those. Yeah, Pyramids was delicious. Drew Brews little, is great. A little slice of lemon. Mm. Yep, right at the end. Mm-mm. Picked it up a notch. I'd give this a solid eight. Yeah? Too bad you don't have a slice of lemon to put in there. It'd be all I fancy. I am not fancy. <laughs> I am not fancy. Like all those glitz and glam in Paris for the Ballon d'Or. We had it, man. 67th Ballon d'Or. Let's see who won, shall we? Yes, we should. All right. So we had the Socrates Award, which is basically like the humanitarian of the year. This went to Vinny Jr. for his work against racism and his work in education in Brazil. I guess he's invested almost 4 million euros into an education app for poor students in Brazil, which is awesome. Yeah. That's so good awesome. for him. And I mean, you've seen how much work he's had in racism in Spain, especially. 
I mean, a yeah, lot of it's he has put a lot of him, but yeah, good for yeah, him. yeah, it has. Even this year, kind of got to get rid of that racism there in La Liga and every other league. Everywhere, you see it, Serie A. Moving on, we had the Copa Award, which is the best player under 21. Was there any doubts who this was going to? A little bit. A lot a of people bit. have said a little. A lot of people have said this was based on stats and trophies. You know, as far as Ballon d'Or awards, and if it goes by stats and trophies, Jamal Musiala should have won because he has better stats and more trophies. Well, However, it didn't go to him. It went to Jude Bellingham. I was just going to say, however, based on how the awards actually went, which was more play on the field than stats, Jude Bellingham deserved to win. So, but I think he it's did. crazy that it's his third time nominated, but his first time winning. Like he's he's still only twenty. It's nuts. <laughs> that is nuts, man. Jude Bellingham is only twenty. He's tearing it up at Real Madrid. Who knows what he'll win next? Maybe the big one, the Ballon d'Or. Mm. Sure, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. We also had the Yeshin Award for Best Goalkeeper. Emiliano Martinez coming out the winner in this one. I'm going to guess for his uh, performances at the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, that's like the one highlight they played was the World Cup final. And I got to give credit to the cameraman in, on the Ballon d'Or presentation. Because every time they played something that was slightly controversial, they'd pan right to like the people that would have the worst reactions. Like for this one, <laughs> it was the save that he made in the World Cup final, and they immediately panned to Mbappe and Didier Deschamps. And both of them are just shaking their head and scowling. It was <laughs> hilarious. So, yeah, he didn't get the warmest reception in Paris. Wonder why. You know, maybe because mm. Argentina beat France and his uh, kind of crazy antics. Yeah, I mean, I was I was very surprised, especially since this is actually voted on by the French football, the writers of the French Football Association, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, he got booze, man. <laughs> like, booze for a while. Like, Didier Drogba had to come out and say, hey, guys. Give him the props he deserves (laughs) because he got booed the entire clip of him saving Kolomuani's shot in the final. A little salty, apparently, the French people still. Do you think he deserved that award, though? No. I mean, for the World Cup performances, yes, but like there are much more deserving players. And I think Marc-Andre Ter Stegen got robbed. He wasn't even in the top three. What about Ederson, man? Want to treble? Well, we'll get to that in a, a little bit, but and so yeah, yeah. so I'm I'm gonna admit I'm kind of gonna look like a little bit of a hypocrite in this episode. And uh, it's banter, man. You, you speak your mind. Uh, yeah, because I don't feel like Emmy Martinez necessarily deserved this award, but there's a certain player who we've already mentioned, Messi, winning the Ballon d'Or. I feel like did deserve. So we'll, we'll get into that later, though. I don't know if that's All a right, we, Like, what of, did Emmy I, I, Martinez win besides the World Cup? Nothing, because he plays for Aston Villa. No offense, Villa fans. But I guess that's true. Messi did win a few other trophies, so five. But we'll move exact. on. <laughs> okay, okay. Glad you're counting. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to. We had the Gerd Müller Trophy, which is basically the striker of the year. The golden boot, went, yeah. 
pretty this much. This went to none other than the robot Erling Holland. First of his name, destroyer Score of defenses, scorer of goals, winner of trophies, breaker of records. No surprise. And there. his yeah, and then his team, Manchester City, was the men's club team of the year. Duh. Second year in a row. Pretty obvious you win a treble, you're gonna get club team of the year. Yeah, especially winning the Premier League and the Champions League. Like, come on. The women's club team of the year went to Barcelona. Surprise, surprise. Again, they're the Manchester City of women's football. Yep. And then the woman's Ballon d'Or, also no surprise, went to a Barca player. Spanish national team player won the World Cup. Or the Euro Cup. Yeah, she won it. Yeah. All right, but let's look at the big one the Ballon d'Or. The one everybody pays attention to. Pretty much. So you have written down here, I thought it was interesting, some notable places. You know, Harry Kane had a fantastic season. He was 20th. Jamal Musiala was 26th. Jude Bellingham, 18th. Gavisha Cavarcelia was 17th. Antoine Griezmann, 21st. Benzema, 16th. <laughs> and so then you have the top 15 here. So you had Emmy Martinez at 15. Then it goes to Ilka Gundovan. Yassine Bonu, Robert Lewandowski, Mo Salah, Luka Modric, Bernardo Silva, Victor Osimhen, Julian Alvarez, and then Vinny Jr. as number six. Number five, you had Rodri, then Kevin De Bruyne, Kylian Mbappe, Erling Haaland, and the big winner, Lionel Messi. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, that list there? Do you think there should be any shakeups? Well, okay, so... Yes, I think there should be. I mean, although it was an off year by his standards, Mo Salah still had 54 goal contributions, so 34 goals and 20 assists for club and country last season. That is the most behind only the top three, as in Mbappe, Holland, and Messi. So I do have beef with this list, especially number six, Vinny Jr., so you know I'm a yeah. big Vinny fan. I love Vinny. But Jr. number six does not stats? deserve to be number no. six. And he no. was hurt for a lot of last season. So that, yeah. that is one I disagree with. I feel like they did Harry Kane and Antoine Griezmann say, especially Harry, dirty. Harry Kane, 20th, really? He had 50 goal contributions last year. 50. 20th. What? I guess that's where the trophies comes into play that you mentioned. so. And it doesn't he had no. help him because he got knocked out of the DFP Pokal today by a third-tier German side. So you can take the man out of Tottenham, but you can't take the Tottenham out of the man. Yeah, you can see that game-winning goal on our Instagram story. So make sure you guys are following us on our socials. Keep up to date. Also check out the TikTok, Facebook, Redbubble, and YouTube. Like, subscribe. Notification bell. Five stars. Yep. Yep. And then, okay, so lastly, before I let you go on, uh, Emmy won the Yashin, right? Yep. Ederson was second in that voting, not even in the top 30. And then Bonu finishes above him in the Ballon d'Or, but third in the Yashin. Like, that's why you're allowed to be hypocritical, because it's literally hypocritical. Like, it makes no sense. So. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, 
Bonu, I mean, obviously he had the fantastic display at the World Cup with Morocco. And I think, honestly, it's because he won a Europa League. That's my yeah. only, I guess, reasoning for that. But, I mean, as far as La Liga, man, Ter Stegen tied the record. Yeah. Ederson won a treble. And then, yeah, Emmy Martinez won a World Cup. So I would I would think those those three would be above him. It should, yes. I agree. Other than that, man, um, we got the top five spot on. Not that it was difficult. We did. Yeah, we did. We did. That. We did. But I got to ask but, you, because you've been leading up to it this whole time. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first on this topic. Did Messi <clears throat> deserve to win the award? Let's break it down. So I'm going to give you the short answer first. Yes. I do. And I'll I'll talk about his competitors first, mainly his two big ones and Kylian Mbappe and Erling Holland. So I mean Erling Holland his stats are crazy. And if you give it off honestly trophies and goals, gold contributions, he should have won. Okay. Three trophies, the amount of goals he scored. So he had 53 appearances and he had 52 goals and 9 assists. For City. Norway, he had eight games, eight goals, and an assist. So, I mean, 70 goal contributions. And I know, I I guess, the big issue for me why Erling Holland didn't win is he was unlucky that it was a World Cup year and his country did not make it to the World Cup as one of them. I I think that's that's the biggest one. I think that's a massive part of it is he didn't play at all in the World Cup. And then I guess you got to look at some of the context for how he scores his goals. A lot of these goals are created for him. I don't want to call him a tap-in merchant because some of the ways he contorts his body to get these goals, positions he takes up in the box are just fantastic. Brilliant, yeah. So I don't want to say that. Your goal scorer, he's brilliant. Other aspects of his game, one could argue, not the best. He does. It's And he doesn't create his own goals, I guess, is a big thing of it. You know, we did see him kind of create. He won a ball, took a shot outside the 18, and scored against Brighton here a couple weeks ago last weekend. And so that was that was good to see. I love seeing Holland win a ball, take a defender on a run, and, you know, take a shot from outside the box. I want to see more of that. <laughs> he doesn't need to, though. Well, he doesn't when you have Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish. Julian Last year, you know, he had Gundogan. He had Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. And so Rodri. he's got a stacked team around him. There's there's no doubt he about really that. Does. But but he still has to finish it, and he was the best at finishing last year. That's, that's a fact. He 100%. was the best at that. So I'll look at Kylian Mbappe next. I mean, Kylian Mbappe even had, I guess, better numbers, stats, if you want to say, than Messi at PSG. And honestly, he had the same amount of goals and assists at the World Cup. One more goal. I honestly think we would be having a different conversation if France wins that World Cup. 100%. Yeah, I think Mbappe wins the Ballon d'Or if he wins the World Cup. Potentially. It's not messy, is my point. It wouldn't be messy. Yeah. And so let's look at 
Mbappe stats, man. He had 43 appearances for PSG, 41 goals, 10 assists. At the World Cup, he had eight goals, two assists. He was the Golden Boot winner. And at, not at the World Cup, he's had six appearances, six goals, and one assist for France. So, I mean, 62 goal involvements, man. That's that's a shit ton. Yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, out of the three of them, he played the least amount of games. He did. And, like, I, I'm going to be honest, without e- either Messi or without either Mbappe, PSG don't win Ligue 1. Not they won it by one point. No. <laughs> I mean, Neymar was out for a majority of. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying like, with with Neymar or without Neymar. I mean, I guess we'll see this season. Yeah, I mean, I, and so that that's with Mbappe. And I I love Mbappe as a player, man. Because so he's, he's different than Holland. He he will create his own goals. He will take you on the run. He will dribble past you. You don't see Holland doing that so much at Man City. And so that, that's why I, I like Mbappe. But again, I think if France wins that final with him scoring a hat trick in it, hard, hard, hard not to argue against that. Yeah. 100%. And plus the numbers he put up for PSG. That also might be something that goes against him, right? Because you got Erling Holland, who got this team around him that's star studded. And then you have Mbappe, who has Neymar and Messi alongside him. I mean, you still had Marquinhos, Donnarumma, Sergio Ramos. I mean, there's still some big names at PSG. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'm just I mean, saying. They don't have Pep Guardiola as a thing. Yeah. Well, they don't have a coach that sticks around for more than a full season. So, <clears throat> No. But, you know, let, let's get to the big man. The guy who won it, Lionel Messi, his eighth Ballon d'Or. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. He definitely won this because of the World Cup performance. Carrying that Argentina team. And looking back on it now, that Argentina team, man, they had some players that, that were, were not performing known as superstars. Well. Lotaro Martinez, or, or even had known probably man. the worst. Lotaro Martinez had like the worst seven games I've ever seen him play. Like, well, and that's why Julian Alvarez came in yeah. partway through. And then same with Enzo Fernandez. hadn't seen much of him at all. I mean, he plays for Benfica, so he's still playing in a you know good team in Europe, but he really burst onto the scene. I would say. And Rodrigo DePaul also had a great World Cup. Yeah. But again, these aren't aren't household names like Mbappe, Neymar, Messi. Or even that France national team with Griezmann, Usman Dembele, Kingsley Komen. Olivier Giroud. (laughs) Tushimani, who was playing for Real Madrid. Hugo Lloris. Rafael Varane. Upa Meccano. Teo Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can keep going. It's the the whole lineup and the bench, honestly. So I would definitely say, I mean, obviously looking at that Argentina squad versus that France squad, France had the better players. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But let, let's go over Messi's stats. So at that World Cup in seven games, he scored seven goals, had three assists. He won the golden ball, which means he was the best player in the tournament, which he was. His dribbling, his creating goals... The guy was spectacular in that tournament. For PSG in all competitions, he had 41 appearances, 21 goals, 20 assists. So out of the three players, he was the only one to get double-digit assists. And besides the World Cup for Argentina in eight games, he had 11 goals, four assists. And then let's might as well mention Inter-Miami. 
where he had 14 I, appearances. He had 15 goals, five assists. I'm only putting it on there because when they tallied up his stats for the Ballon d'Or, they put those stats on there. So, apparently it went all the way through the MLS season. So, because it started in the middle of last season. Okay. And so, like I said, he was no slouch. You know, he wasn't, it's not like he wasn't scoring goals. He did, scored lots of them. Won a World Cup. And I, I honestly, I'll be honest, I think there is a bias towards Lionel Messi. I think there's a little bit, yeah. an emotional connection for what he's done for the game over the past 15, 15. years. <laughs> 15 years. It's insane. I mean, just about, because he's, what, 34? Yeah. I mean, he jumped on the scene at, what, 17, like 18? 16, 17, 18? I mean, let's not forget, Kylian Mbappe is 25. He's yeah. not a 21-year-old. You know what? No, I mean, he I won the... How many... What was it? The... Young Why player. Why am I reading this? Yeah. The Copa Award in, like, 28... It was, like, five years ago. 2018, I think, is when he won it. So, Something like that. Yeah. But and so I do think Messi got that obviously in his favor. That's probably also why I honestly think he deserved to win it. Because, you know, this is where my I guess hypocritical side comes in. Because I think Messi deserved to win it, but not Holland. Even though Holland had better stats. I would say bigger trophies. I know you mentioned Messi, he got the you know, Ligon, that cup in France. The Ligas Cup in MLS, the Comi Ball for Argentina, and then the World Cup for Argentina. Yeah, so but honestly, I mean, you got five trophies. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, if you're even if you're just looking purely at stats, I mean, Holland and Messi are separated by literally like a thousandth of a decimal place by goal involvements per match. Like it's insane. It's like pretty much dead even in goal involvements per match. So if goal involvements per match matter, I mean, I will say the Premier League is more prestigious than League On, where PSG have won it how many years in a row? Very, Champions very League is obviously more. a big one. Yeah, huge. But Messi won the biggest trophy, I will say that, being the World Cup. I mean, that is the most prestigious trophy in football in the world. I would say it's the most prestigious trophy in the world, period. Any sport. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I guess I wouldn't disagree <laughs> with that. No. Yeah. Now and let's so get I into my favorite me, one. That's why, that's why Messi deserved the Ballon d'Or. Call it a little bit of bias. Again, like I said, I was a little hypocritical because I didn't think Emmy Martinez deserved the Yashin Award. But I did think Messi deserved the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I, I understand. It. little bias. I understand. That's okay. Little bias. Want to see him sent off. Well, best player yeah, to ever play the game. I don't. I I don't think that he'll ever win another one, especially playing in the MLS. But no. I mean, speaking of MLS, I mean, for all you Ronaldo lovers out there, because I know there are some, and there are some that would argue that he should have been at least in the top five for this. Oh, dude, we're getting comments Ronaldo. on our socials. People saying he should win. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, let's go with uh, Ronaldo scored one goal for United and one goal for Portugal <clears throat> in the World Cup. Dropped by both teams, might I add you. Tearing up the Saudi League and Europe qualifying games, sure. But last year he was not doing those things for Portugal. And the things that he's doing in Saudi Arabia do not deserve a Ballon d'Or. And for all you Ronaldo fanboys out there, the era of Messi versus Ronaldo is over. Get over yourself. It's the era, It's the beginning of the era of Bellingham, Mbappe, Holland, and if you want to throw Vinny Jr. in there, him too. But we are on to a whole new era, and I am very excited about it. So, with that said, Targo, who wins the next one? So this really is kind of a christening of a new era. Because, you, like you said, Messi's going off into the sunset in MLS. Probably won't feature hugely. Even he said he doesn't, doesn't think stage. he'll win another one. Yeah, Even Messi said he no. doesn't think he's going. But looking at what's happening this year, man, Bellino. If he keeps it up all season, shoe in. Shoe in. Mbappe, he's kind of gone quiet. His old transfer row at PSG. No one really cares about Ligue 1 anymore. It seems to be. I think for Mbappe to win it, he's got to move to Real Madrid. Uh, well, any team that's not in Ligue 1, pretty much. I mean, but going back to that Ronaldo, I'll, I'll give Ronaldo some props. I mean, you can only score goals against the teams you face, and he's true. doing that at 38 years old, nonetheless. And he's still scoring some props. bangers. Saudi league again. It's not obviously not the best league in the world, but he's still scoring goals. So I gotta, I gotta give him his dues there. Euro qualifying, I Portugal aren't in the hardest group. But he's still scoring goals. And it's good for him, man, to make a comeback in that Portuguese national team. So we'll see what he can do with the Euros. That's where I'm really going to judge him, if he can keep that up. And who knows? Maybe Portugal wins the Euros, and he has a fantastic tournament, and he wins that next Ballon d'Or. I don't know. I think if he does, he'll at least be in it with a shout, right? You can't deny him that. But I I don't think Messi makes it into the top 20 next season not playing in mls no big major tournament for argentina they might have the copa america in the summer but i mean okay they do yeah it's them or brazil win it every year whoop de doo so all right i i gotta ask you one more question before we move on to the next thing is i mean I just want to talk about the thoughts on the credibility of the Ballon d'Or, right? We know that everybody that votes on it is actually a journalist and not a player or a manager. Thierry Henry brought up a good point as it's only voted by journalists, but not by players. And it needs to change to gain its credibility back because the FIFA best awards have risen more to prominence of late. But do you agree with Thierry Henry's statement? 100%. Okay. Would you change it? I do agree. I mean, we've seen some robberies for this award. You know, some people would argue Erling Holland got robbed for this award. Lots. Not the players, but lots of fans. Yes. Well, lots of fans. And I would would guess some players. 
some, most of the big name players that got interviewed all said Messi should win it. So FIFA conspiracy. Probably, there's probably, there's probably a bias there too. Let's be honest. I mean, there probably is, but then you have previous years, you know why they didn't have it in 2020 for Robert Lewandowski to pick up his award. I don't know. We played football. Yeah. You could award it to him virtually. I understand we are in COVID, but like doesn't, shouldn't stop you from awarding it. I would also argue that in 2021, maybe Messi didn't deserve to have it then, and it could have gone no, to Lewandowski. I, I definitely think Lewandowski deserved to win that one. I mean, that you go down the list, right? I mean, just starting from, like, 96, R9 should have won it. In 96, 2000, Tati should have won it. 2001, Raul should have won it. 2003, you know my hatred of the selection of Nedved <laughs> over Pavel Nedved, man. 2004, Even Henri Deco. when Canavaro won it. Yeah, Deco in 2004, when he won four trophies for Portugal or Porto. Buffon in 2006, mm-hmm. Ribery 2013, and then, yeah, 2020 Maybe and 2021 a, for Lewandowski. Some people might argue, not me, but Virgil van Dijk in 2019. Yeah, some people might because, you know, Messi only beat him by one vote. So Now it was like 13. It, it was closer than that. But I mean, you also think Liverpool, they famously knocked out Real Madrid or Liverpool knocked out Barcelona in the Champions League that season. But I mean, Messi did haul in 51 goals and 22 assists. (laughs) It's unreal. It's the consistency for me, man, with Messi just constantly putting up double digit goals and assists every year. It's almost like every year it's over 20 of each. And 20 assists, like, constantly is unheard of. Let us know what you guys think. So we had a tournament midweek called the Carabao Cup that most people really don't care about. But, you know, we wanted to cover it, and it was a round of 16. It's a the trophy, first match man. we had, hey, it's a trophy, and it's a trophy in England, and it's one that generally you'll see the lower teams doing something against the bigger teams. But to start out, we're going to start with two minnows in a giant pond of Mansfield Town and Port Vale. As Alfie Devine provided the clinical touch as the League One side Port Vale defeated League Two side Mansfield Town, advancing to the quarterfinals, where I thought they would have a chance to play one of the big boys. But no, they get stuck playing Middlesbrough. Because <laughs> they won. Mansfield- Mansfield plays Wrexham in the FA Cup on Saturday. If anyone wants to watch that, it's on ESPN+. Ooh. Will we see Deadpool at the stadium? Probably. Probably. And then we had (laughs) Exeter City against Middlesbrough. I watched this match. Holy crap. Was this exciting to watch. In what was a surprisingly thrilling match, Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough triumphed with some galazos. Like, seriously, you should see the highlights, Targo. Brilliant individual Hey, we're not play. available, so I'll, I'll yeah. have to look for him. I'll admit, out of the Carabao Cup games, I watched one game. That's okay. Most people don't care about most of these games. But Exeter City scored on their only two shots on target as Middlesbrough win off of a penalty kick in Who? the, like, 89th minute. And we had Chelsea against Blackburn as Chelsea run out comfortable winners 2-0 in a match that, with better finishing, they probably could have scored 6 or 7. 
I did see the highlights for this one, yeah. Yeah, Benoit Batistuta got his first ever goal for the Blues, coming back from injury after a cross by Connor Gallagher, and then Raheem Sterling got his name on the score sheet in the 59th minute. Yeah, the Raheem Sterling one was a pretty much a gift. Blackburn tried playing out of the back, got caught right outside their own 18, pretty much. How and, do you expect I mean, Sterling to finish it? Yeah, and then watching these highlights, man, there was it was all on one side of the field. Chelsea are just shooting on Blackburn's goal. Blackburn had one shot on target. Yeah. Craziness. Next up, we had uh, two relegation strugglers in the Premier League this season, Everton and Burnley. And Everton wiped the floor with Burnley in this one, piling more pressure on Vincent Company as his tumultuous start to the season continues, hammering them 3-0. And it was not close... From the first minute. Burnley can't score goals. Don't know what to tell you, man. They suck. They can't score. They can't keep a clean sheet. They can't even move the ball forward. They have one shot on target against Everton. What happened to them, man? I mean, one shot on target against Everton. Say that again. (laughs) One shot on target against Everton. Yeah, oh, I don't. Burnley. I don't get it. I don't get it. And we had Ipswich Town against Fulham as they Fulham comfortably defeated the Championship side three to one in a match where the London side rested much of their starters and really never looked like losing, as if Ipswich Town scored pretty much in the 80th minute consolation goal. All right, into the ones people actually cared about. This one, kind of. Bournemouth against Liverpool. Liverpool dominated this match, but it took a wonder goal on a windy night in Bournemouth for them to advance to the quarterfinals. Cody Gakpo would put them in the lead in the 31st minute. After he was hit by a shot, the goalie parried it right back to him, and he tapped it in. So I watched the highlights on this one, yeah, and the shot came in, but it looks like he tries to hit it on goal. Like he moves his foot towards the ball and tries to do something with it. It was a fantastic save by the goalkeeper. It was. Off that inflection. And yeah, Gagpo just there to clean it up. Justin Clivert would level for the Cherries in 64th minute, getting his first Bournemouth goal. I think it's his second. But it was his first. Really? I thought he scored in the Premier League. But anyways, Darwin Nunes continued his uh, hot form to win the match for Liverpool just six minutes later. And I just want to talk about his first touch real quick since you saw <laughs> it. Hold on. What Read a donkey of a touch. Holy a crap. donkey touch. <laughs> when I saw he literally I goes to that. settle it. He goes to settle it, and the ball goes like 30 yards past well, he him. misses the ball. He, like, missed it. <laughs> but it was funny because I read your notes. I was like, donkey touch? What does he mean by that? And so I had to watch the highlights of it. <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> But then right? he makes up for it instantly. Yeah. What a goal, though, man. Holy crap. I don't know if the wind helped with that, but either way. Oh, for sure, probably what a, did. What a strike from the edge of the 18 over the goalie, curled it in. And, yeah, the wind was nuts in this game. So, yeah, when I was watching the highlights, there was a corner, and that corner flag's just, like, <laughs> going like a windshield wiper, Imagine man. trying just... to take a corner with a corner flag doing that in front of you. 
<laughs> I know. And then, like, the guy took the corner and he almost scored from it. Because the wind <laughs> caught it and it took it towards the goal. Joe Gomez had to be there to clear it off the line. Not to mention it was a torrential downpour in that match as well. So just to make things worse, that that's like a game that is nightmares for players. So yes, I will give the win an assist for that Darwin Nunez goal. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had West Ham and Arsenal. I'm glad I didn't watch this game. I did. And I'm glad that it's over. Because for the third year running, Arsenal would let in three goals to be eliminated from the Carabao Cup. Remember Nottingham Forest in the all-white jerseys last season, 3-1 to one to Brighton. This year, 3-1 to one to West Ham. And quite honestly, it probably could have been 3-0 if it wasn't for a piece of Odegaard magic, I guess. It's a great finish. Last kick Anyways. of the ball, yep. Yeah, literally the last kick of the game. West Ham would take the lead against the run of play through a Ben White own goal in the 16th minute. Jared Bowen hitting in the corner, forcing him to try to head the ball clear, but he knocked it into his own net. So for context, West Ham had zero shots on goal up to this point, but we're up 1-0. How about the foul, though, on Aaron Ramsdale, if you saw it? Eh, soft. It was soft. I wouldn't. Thomas Suchek was literally better. That I agree with, but. That's worth it. That's the but big problem. Thomas Suchek is literally holding on to Ramsdale's literally holding on to Ramsdale's jersey, preventing him from moving. It wasn't that tough. Unfortunately, there was Ramsdale. there was no VAR in this match, as there's no VAR until the semifinals. But let's be honest, VAR probably would have missed it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. There you go. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> West Ham, yeah, they went into the half with a lead. Uh, zero shots on goal, zero shots, period. Uh, and Arsenal had every right to feel upset about it. However, they didn't do anything That's to help it. Down. <laughs> as West Ham would go 2-0 up in the 50th minute, after a wonderful 60-yard cross, finds Mohamed Kudis, and probably the best accidental touch I've ever seen, sets, him up, sets himself up for a wonderful finish. If you watch this replay, it literally hits one foot, goes under the other foot, and then comes back across his body. Like, he definitely yeah, didn't when I mean saw to do that, that. When I saw the replay, I was like, oh, wow, what a fantastic. Like, it almost looks like he hits it with his outside of his left foot to yeah. cut it back inside into the goal. That's what but I no, thought. Hit, and then you see the replay. His heel and like, on his right foot. <laughs> goes under his left foot. it sets him up perfectly. <laughs> and he just had, he finished yeah. it nicely. Great finish. Yeah, right through Gabrielle's legs. And then to make matters worse for Arsenal, the Hammers would make it 3-0 when Jared Bowen unleashes an absolute thunderbolt that goes straight at, well, essentially over the top of Aaron Ramsdale's head, but he can't do anything about it as he tries to save it, and it still goes in the net. So it took a little deflection off, I can't. I think it was Kivior, but Ramsdale, dude, got a solid palm to this ball. A oh, solid yeah. palm, and it goes through. Yeah, it's an absolute question marks, man. Question Still mark. question marks, but I mean, he hasn't played in what two months? Again, well, he'll he'll play here in a couple of weeks when they play Brentford because David Raya can't yeah. play. <laughs> that is true. As we said earlier, substitute Martin Odegaard would get one back with the last kick of the ball, but honestly, Arsenal were poor going forward, and West Ham were absolutely clinical. I mean, do you want to talk about the lineup? Fabio Vieira, sure. Kai Havertz, 
Kai Havertz only playing because of Millsmith-Rowe pulled up with a knee injury before the game because he was named in the original starting lineup. Yeah, Reese Nelson on the right, Trossard on the left, Eddie Niketia, who... I swear to God, Eddie Niketia is a great player, but what he does is, like, he tries to get a power-up. Like, he sucks for a really long period of time, and then all at once, he's absolutely magical. Because so here's what match, I, would say. I would say he's a he's frustrating awful. player. 100%. He's a very frustrating player. 100%. Because there's times it, he's good, and then there's times he's sometimes maybe good, sometimes, sometimes maybe, maybe shit. shit. <laughs> what he frustrates me the most on is his pressing, because it's like half-assed. He never actually sprints at a defender. You watch him versus Gabriel Jesus, Jesus. man. (laughs) You're too used to him. I'm used to all of Arsenal's front line, and then you get Nketiah in there, and you're just like, well, whatever. I guess we're not pressing today. I blame it on those hideous jerseys. I want to laugh. (laughs) I do. I do. Well, let's move on to another game. I'm afraid I'm going to sneeze, yeah. So that we had Newcastle. Make you laugh. <laughs> yeah, Newcastle against Manchester United. A repeat, rematch man. Of, repeat of the final. Re- rematch of the final. United made seven changes to their starting lineup. Newcastle made nine from their teams on the weekend. In a match, Manchester United probably couldn't afford to lose. They went from bad to worse, losing their second straight home game. <laughs> second straight home game, three nil. Three nil. This is the game I again. watched. I watched this yeah. one. Uh, you weren't disappointed because Newcastle would find their opener through substitute Miguel Almiron in the 28th minute as he was subbed on in the fifth minute uh, after a wonderful run by Livermento. Oh, dude, this Livermento run was not fantastic. It was fucking spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. So he steals the ball off Garnacho, gets past Garnacho and Regulon. And then who does he go past in that midfield? He goes past another two players in Mount, that midfield. Mount, Mount and I think the other one was Lindelof, but yeah. Goes past Mount, makes him look slow, and then plays a beautiful ball to Miggy Almaran, who has a great first touch, and then just sliding, lifts it over Onana. Yeah, great goal. Yeah. Dallow definitely got caught ball watching, though. Like, he's jogging yes. back. And then you see Miggy Almiron sprinting behind him, past him. <laughs> if he would have just, like, sprinted versus jogged, he would have intercepted that ball, but... Oh, you mean paid attention? Yeah, paid attention, there you go. <laughs> Lewis Hall, we get his first goal played for... defense? A defender Ooh. played defense? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good one. We'll get into that later. Lewis Hall will get his first goal for Newcastle, piling on more pressure to Eric Ten Hag, making it 2-0 just eight minutes later with a wonderful volley. That was a good volley. Mm-hmm. And then on his return to the starting lineup, Joe Willock. Go, my man. To make it three for Newcastle with a delightful finish after Jolinton caught Amrabat on the ball. Joe Willock would pick up the ball dribbling unchallenged and place it into the bottom corner, surrounded by five United defenders. Bro, he dribbled like 30, 40 yards. Like he dribbled yeah. from the pretty much halfway line to the top of the 18. Nobody even pressed him. No one tried to tackle him. You just see the United defenders essentially like this. He runs Backing past him and they just go like this. And then in the back of the net. Pass it into the back of the net too. Beautiful yeah. finish. Near post as well. 
Yeah. Just as uh, United were finally starting to get some momentum, too. Like, it looked like they were almost about to start creating some chances, and then they get caught. Oh, no, we suck again. <laughs> it pretty much sums yeah. up United season. Um, though much changed, United probably looked worse in this match than they did against City, and they could not create anything, having only two shots on goal. So. And, like, one of them was, like, a Mason Mount. It was a decent shot, but he was all of, like, 30 yards out. Yeah. So we got quarterfinal fixtures as follows. Everton hosts Fulham. Chelsea hosts Newcastle. Port Vale hosts Middlesbrough. And Liverpool hosts West Ham. Bro, Newcastle. They have to beat Man City. They beat Man United. Now they got to go to Chelsea. Watch, they're going to face Liverpool the, next. <laughs> at least at least for the Chelsea match, it's an easier opposition. I don't than, know. Than City. I won't say that for Man United. Anyways. With that, Targo. Let's talk about Man United, since we're on the subject. What is going on with Manchester United, man? I mean, for us Arsenal fans, it's kind of fun to watch. But if I was a United supporter, I would be so sick and tired of just watching this team, the ownership, the management, the players, I mean, all of it. The recruiting. I would be mad at the recruiting, man. The club right now is rotten. I know I know we've both seen Stranger Things, but you remember the the first season when like the pumpkins rot? Like half of the pumpkins still there, but the rest of it's rotted. That is Manchester United right now. I think that's season two, but Okay, maybe it is season two. (laughs) I should know. I'm watching it currently for like the eighth time, so Maybe I should get that right. But you are right. Uh, anyways, they've lost 8 of 15 games in all competition this season. That's more than 50% of their matches. Well, let's it's take insane. a look at that, man. We'll start from the top to the bottom. Although, I, when I say top to the bottom, for some reason, I think of a pyramid. I don't yeah. think this is like a pyramid situation, though. I think this is a full circle, man. I think this is more like a full circle where it all comes back around. You know, you have the ownership, the management, the players, and it just kind of all goes back. It's a vicious cycle. Yes. It's a vicious cycle. That is football. So let's start with the ownership, though. It's the Glazers. What What's going on with the Glazers, man? They're, once they're in debt, are they yeah. going to be bought? Are they not going to be bought? Yeah, I mean... Or I guess sold every, and then bought? Every time any sort of, like, takeover talks of any sort, come around it's like they're tiptoeing around the situation like oh i don't know maybe it's a good deal maybe we should take it or i don't know maybe we should rethink it let's restructure it i don't know wishy-washy it's all wishy-washy man very you're they're over a billion pounds in debt i mean they're rumored to be selling 25 percent to jim ratcliffe but that was like two weeks ago for 1.3 billion is it ever going to happen I know these things take time, but I think it needs to happen, honestly, because there's talks about, you know, previous podcasts you guys should check out. We talked about the whole Jim Ratcliffe situation and how we think he will shake things up there and become the new. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Like the sport, not sporting director, but he's going to take over director of football operations. Yeah, Yeah, football operations. He's going to take over the football operations away from the Glazers. Which I do think is a step. 
in the right direction if that happens. Yeah. Because honestly, it can't get any worse. And, you know, I've I've heard the argument, okay, past the Jim Ratcliffe part, that the Glazers don't spend money. Yes, they do. Uh, because since Sir Alex's retirement, they've spent one point one over one point one billion pounds on sixty players since two thousand thirteen. City net spend that is a net spend by the way. City's net spend is um seven hundred and thirty two million over the same time period. And people say, Oh, City spend all this money on players. Well United have spent pretty close to double that with net spend. I mean without it, I think they're like 200 million off where city spent 1.2 billion some 1.1 something billion anyways but just look at the players that city has bought versus united honestly just look at this year man who did city bring in they brought in jeremy doku josko gavardio and mateo kovacic mateo kovacic they look like fantastic well i, I would say kovacic, kovacic but... i think is more of a bench player again <clears throat> but doku but gavardio... and Looks Vardial. like a defender and Toku, as you say, is lightning in a bottle, man. Yeah, it's like kissing the spark plug. Let's see who who did United bring in? They spent how much on Andre Onana? Was it fifty forty five mil? You know how much Spurs spent on Vicario? Thirteen mil, if I'm not mistaken. Sixteen, yeah. Sixteen. So I mean, okay. Onana will give them a pass. He had a fantastic last year. Okay, so then they went and bought Rashmus Hoyland. How much did they spend on him? Was it 60, 60 mil? 80 something mil? Something like that. There? I think it was 80. On a young, unproven striker. I will say he Which, does look like a talent. He, he does look like, like a best promising signing. talent, but not what they need right now. They got Mason Mount from Chelsea for, six, for 60, 60 million. Mil. Where does he play? Who knows? Where he is playing now isn't working. Or what his role is in that team isn't working. Unknown, actually. <laughs> yeah. They and then got uh Sofian Amrabat on loan. I think he's on loan, along yeah, with Regulon on, on yeah, loan. On loan. And Johnny Evans on a free. So they spent all that money on those players. Yeah. It's just again bad recruitment, man. Bad recruitment. Yeah, it goes back to those Terrible. football operations, right? And you know, as as Arsenal fans, right, we went through this too. We did a couple of years ago under Unai Emery and start of Mikel Arteta's reign. Lots of deadwood in the dressing room. Players having off field issues. Coaching, high wages. High wages. Coaching looks tactically inept because of it. Ownership group that pays no attention to supporters and won't invest in the squad, staff, and facilities. Well, the difference is, is Arsenal hired Edu and Arteta, cut their losses, let players go for free or for minimal fees, canceled their contracts. After the whole Super League debacle, Josh Kroenke took the reins, more hands-on approach put trust in the staff and hired for the future of the team as a sporting project. So again, full circle, right? What has United done? They've not done anything but send absurd amounts of money for players. Most of them that are the problem player wise still there and they're not refreshing the squad. 
The Glazers currently in charge of the sporting aspect of the club, but one would argue they know nothing about football. John Murtaugh, I mean, can, go ahead. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that. So you can even go back to the CEO and the director of football. You know, we mentioned this during that Jim Ratcliffe episode, where those play those the people in those positions. You know, they're obviously in charge of finding the manager, things like that. Well, with the sale or no sale, they don't know if they're going to have jobs. I mean, if Ratcliffe comes in, I don't think they will. No, currently their director of football is John Murtaugh, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe wants to appoint Paul Mitchell, so he would be. So they're at a standstill because they can't even they can't even fire Ten Hag if they wanted. No, it would cost them fifteen mil to cancel his contract. But then who would one? Who would they find? (laughs) Who would want to come to Manchester United? Yeah, not not only that, but you'd have to again. These people they're they're worried about their jobs. They're not worried about the job Ten Hag's doing. If I'm being honest. Yeah, 100%. So it goes I'm, It goes back to that, yeah. It does. And, you know, if Sergeant Ratcliffe does appoint Paul Mitchell, uh, you probably will know him from formerly being at Spurs with Pochettino and then RB Leipzig during that era where they signed a ton of young talent that turned into be superstars. He's currently at AS Monaco. So they it's have a, a direct... Can- Go ahead. To compare Man United, I know you compared him to Arsenal, but you could also compare him to Chelsea, to Spurs. Yeah. You know, teams like that. Spurs brought in a new manager, and I think it's it's paying dividends, obviously, when you can find that right manager. Yes. I also think that could be an issue with this team. You know, as we keep going down around the circle, shall we say, <laughs> you get to the manager and... I don't know, man. What's going on with Ten Hag? Because last season, like, how could they have a, such a big drop-off? I guess is what I'm saying. From last season to this season. Winning Carabao Cup. Finishing third. Putting good performances together. To this year just being... Not having any identity on the pitch, for one. Players looking like they don't give a shit. Really? They 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 don't. I'll be honest with you. Um... I mean, I mean it, Ten Hag kind of could, play, having weird tactics. Like, in, I mean, you posted a video on the TikTok about some of his quotes. So, I mean, again, you guys should be checking out our TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook group. But yeah, let, let's start there with the tactics, right? Like, he's playing right-footed center back at left back against Man City. He plays Johnny Evans instead of Rafael Varane. Harry Maguire at center back as well. He's got a left back and a World Cup winning center back on the bench. His subs make no sense. And he recently said that this United team can't play like Ajax because it has different players. But then why did he buy three of his former players? Oh, Nana, Lissandro Martinez, and Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, I guess the only kind of leeway I can give him is that defense has been injured. He has, yeah, that Man United team has suffered injuries. quite has suffered quite a few injuries. Yeah, and so I I can understand if that hinders the way you want to play. But then even some of these signings, man. I mean, Casemiro this year he looks like he doesn't have the legs. Christian Eriksen, we know is 
never really had those, that pace, so he doesn't really have the legs in that midfield. And so I guess they, they buy Mason Mount, who that's not really his position. And then yeah, Sofian... I mean, for for Mason Mount, like, okay, you sign him, you think he he could fulfill his potential he had a couple of years ago if you have a plan for him. But right now, it doesn't look like he even has a plan for him. No, I mean, no, it doesn't. And so it goes back to not only the tactics in the game, but the tactics of the scouting these players, man. I mean, at this point... I bet Man United they would trade Rashmus Hoyland and Mason Mount for Harry Kane. Oh, 100%. 100%. And at the beginning of this season, I'm sure Harry Kane probably would have done it. If they had put in a bid for him. But they didn't even do that. So Could then, it be- you know, this kind of goes back to man management of Ten Hag. I was just going to say that, yeah. Could it be man management? I mean, he spent $330 million on 16 players in two years. Yeah, I see some of the names you got. Some of my, I mean, like Valdez. There are Bay some Course, that were on Marcel loan, Sabitzer. right? Yeah. Sabitzer, Dubrovka, Butland, Veghorst, Regulon, Amrabat. But I mean, Tyrell Malassia, hardly seen him play at left back. Lissandra Martinez, when playing, looks all... I'll say he looks like a decent defender. I'm not going to give him as much credit as people think he deserves, for one. I, I don't think he deserves very much, to be honest with you. But I mean, he has been injured. But, yeah, those... I mean, you look at how much money they spent, and you look at these, these lists of players. Mason Mount, Johnny Evans, Andre Anada, Rasmus Hoyland, Erickson, Casemiro... And then they signed a unproven Turkish goalie in Altai Bayandir, who apparently Andre Onana is going to go to the African Cup of Nations in January, so he's going to play. No one knows what he's going to do. See, look at that money they spent versus, you know, you mentioned Man City earlier, man. <laughs> or even Ar- the- like Arsenal, even. Look at the players Arsenal's bought over the last couple of years. Tottenham, Liverpool. Amazing. Two straight transfer windows where they done great in Tottenham but then it also you look at managers you know like Ange Postacoglu what he's getting out of Fasuma how much better Romero looks this season you know switching Son to that striker role and so we we talked about man management I mean it's up to the I guess this is another question I have is it up to the manager to get the best out of his players or should players just be performing at their best no matter you know who's there I, I never got this. Like I hear all the pundits say, "Oh, it's up to man management," but as a player, for me, I always want to play the best that I can, no matter you know what role I have in the team. So I wanted your thoughts on that. I think the difference between difference between you and me and say a Anthony, we'll go with Anthony because we see his ego, right? But the his play on the field doesn't translate to it. Our egos, we we check them at the door because, well, we don't think that we're world-class players. We know we're good, but we don't think we're world-class players. Anthony thinks he's Cristiano Ronaldo reincarnated. back in the day, yeah. But I mean, Anthony thinks he's Cristiano Ronaldo reincarnated, but he doesn't, he's not a team player. I don't think it's his, there's not a lack of skill there. It's just a lack of decision-making. That portion is up to the manager to help the players. Better decision-making, 
tactical awareness, being able to coach them the right way so that way they can get they can help them be better. Ten Hag has not done that, but you're right to a certain extent. The players should be trying their hardest on the pitch, no matter if it's practice or in games, all the time. And I'll be honest with you, this Manchester United side, halftime I watch them doesn't even look like they're trying. I mean, I'll, looking, the only player I see you, trying is, Rashford. is Rasmus Hoyland. Yeah, and it's sad because he's got so much potential. And yeah, I would love to see a good Manchester United side. The more good teams there are in the Premier League, the better it is for the rest of the Premier League. The more fun it is to watch. Watching Manchester United suck is not fun to watch. Unless you're a Manchester City fan, but they don't really have any fans. So, <laughs> I, I think we're, at least at that level, it is up to the manager. Because he can obviously see the skills and the talent a player has. But then it's up to him to put that player in a position where those skills are best used for the team. Yeah. And so I, I think maybe Ten Hag isn't using some of these players in their best positions. I mean, we saw that Man City, Victor Lindelof playing left back. Johnny Evans starting, no Rafael Varane. Yeah, and he's got his two best center backs in Lindelof and Varane. Healthy. Varane played 90 minutes against Copenhagen. Tuesday to Sunday is enough time for a player of his age to recover. So that I mean, part is all we've seen Mason Hawk. Mount. Yeah, we've seen Mason Mount play well. So, Just not for United or Chelsea last season. And so I guess what's going on there? Is that on Mason Mount? Is it Ten Hag not playing him in the right position? I'm going to go I'm going to go 50-50. I mean Mason Mount's been out of form for a good portion of 2 years at this point. Kind of like the Havertz situation at Arsenal. Months. 18 yeah, months, okay. yeah. 18 months. But it's up to Ten Hag to have a plan with him and play him in the best positions to get the best out of him. To get him to succeed, yeah. I don't think Mason Mount has played in two successive games in the same position. I think he played the first couple and it didn't work out. <laughs> so, and it's not the position he's good at, nonetheless. So I, I don't understand his tactics. And then the whole Amrabat at left back never made sense to me. But we go on for hours about that. And while we're on that topic, could it be the dressing room? How about the current players? And we could start at the top of that food chain with the captain. Is Bruno Fernandez the problem? He's not a captain. You know, obviously what we see on the field, him pointing at players, throwing his hands up, complaining, whining, that, that's not captain material. I mean, you want a, a good captain, man. Carlos Puyol, someone, I remember that someone celebrating a tackle, he pulls him by the shirt, yells at him, says, you PK. get back into position. It was PK, yeah. I think I think it was PK got hit by something from a stand, and PK's kind of holding his head and about to go down, and Puyol just lifts him up, says no. You know, yeah, keep playing. Get yeah. back to it, man. Yeah. And so, that, you know, obviously that's one of the top-notch captains. You think of other great captains. You know, John Terry was another fantastic one. Roy Keane. Roy Keane, yep. Wayne Patrick Rooney. Figuera, all those. Yeah, I mean, but, you could go down the line of Manchester United great captains as well. But then if, I mean, if have Bruno one, Fernandez. Johnny Evans. Yeah. Bruno Fernandez, is, if he's not the captain, who is? Casemiro? Marcus Rashford? I would not put Marcus Rashford as a captain. No. 
for the this game in the Carabao Cup, Casemiro started off with the armband, yeah. and then got I, I subbed mean, off at halftime, and it was given to Lindelof. And then when they're three 0 down, Bruno comes on and he gives it to Bruno. I, mean, I don't think there's any I mean, real leadership on that field. I, that maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, I, Casemiro maybe, Rafael Varane maybe. I mean, your default should be your goalkeeper, but you just signed Andre Onana. You can't make him the captain right away. Give it back to Harry Maguire. <laughs> Why not? Why not? They were in a better position when he was captain. Right? So I, I, don't, I agree with Roy Keane that Bruno is the last player on that squad that I would make a captain. His antics on the field literally bleed into the other players. You see, the more he throws his arms up and whines and cries and flops, more everybody else does it. So he is not, in my opinion, captain material, and it is part of the problem. And it's going to influence, you know, young Palestri and Garnacho and Hannibal, all those players. Yeah, and you saw it in the game against Newcastle. Garnacho threw his arms up half the game. So, so yeah, I, I mean, let's look at the players inherited by Ten Hag, right? You got Tom Heaton, Lindelof, Maguire, Varane, Dalo, Luke Shaw, Aaron Juan Basaka, Bruno Palestri, Donny Van Der Beek, Scott McTominay, Martial, Rashford, Garnacho, and Sancho. Players he bought: Bindier, Onana, Evans, Malasia, Regulon, Martinez, Amrabat, Erickson, Casemiro, Mount, Holland, and Anthony. Hoyland. Thank you. Just yeah. going through that as fast as I could. I mean, a lot Anderson of dead wasn't there. terrible. He was free. Casemiro, I think they spent what forty, and he yeah, looked at the time fantastic it was a great last signing. season. He looked yeah. fantastic last season. So I, I don't know why he's all of a sudden regressed so much. For United to get into the Champions League last season and play as well as they did with the crop of players they have, I'll be honest with you, forty million well spent. It was. It was yeah. 100%. Hoyland, again, at least he hustles, he tries. You can see the desire when he plays versus, you know, Martial, man. I was When I was watching Martial in that Carabao Cup, oh, my gosh. I remember when Arsenal were linked with him, and I was like, thank God they did not buy this piece of trash. He is terrible, man. He is so lazy. So lazy. So lazy. Yeah. I mean, Amrabat's looking like, an okay signing. He's a little slow for the Premier League. He's a little slow, which is I question that signing when you have legs in Casemiro and legs in Erickson. So you're going by more heavy legs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mount's been bad. Anthony's been awful and probably the worst 85, 90 mil spent in United history. I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you know it off the top of your head, but how many goals has he scored? This season? Or total. Anthony, total. I want to say... United. I want to say five. So this season he has zero. I know that. So Martial, last year he scored... Anthony's... So he had four in the Prem, one yeah. in the Carabao Cup, and two in the Europa League. So I was off by two. He had seven total for United. Because they bought him last season. But that's in a lot of games, man. Yeah. And so zero like this season, games, which is 37, more important. 40, 49 games. Yeah. And what? Like three assists? 
Maybe. Two. Exactly my point. So nine goal contributions in 40, what'd you say, 49 games? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Whatever. I I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help that United's entire front line, beside like their entire front line, wingers and strikers, have literally scored one goal and one assist, and it comes from one player. Marcus Marcus Rashford. Rashford. In the Premier League, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's insane to me. That that's that their entire striking line has the same stats as Kai Havertz this season. So would any of those any Man United players get into a top six team right now? You know, you think of Chelsea, Liverpool, United, or Man City, Tottenham, Arsenal. Are you, you considering Chelsea a top six side? It's been a couple I'll, of years. I'll consider them a top <laughs> six side. Yeah, I would go Liverpool, Castle. Brighton, City, Arsenal, Tottenham. I'm not missing anybody, right? Okay. Um, maybe Hoyland gets into... No. Newcastle, maybe, on the bench? I don't... Maybe... I don't think so, though. I don't think so, either. Maybe Liverpool? Uh, Brighton, maybe. Maybe, maybe Brighton. Maybe Arsenal? The other teams, I don't, I don't think he gets in. I think at this moment in time, right now, not including potential, I think Eddie Nketi is a better striker. Than I don't Rasmus think he's getting the Villa, and he's yeah. a backup. That Arsenal. I think if you take his attitude and antics into account, Bruno? no. If you take that out of it, yeah, he probably gets into Liverpool, Brighton, Newcastle. And I think that's probably it. I don't. Well, you've seen you've seen what maybe Bruno even does Arsenal. out of that number Bruno ten Odegaard, position, Declan Rice. and he's awful. So no, I don't think so. You think a fully healthy Arsenal squad? You're putting Thomas Partey there, and there's no way Bruno starts in a more of a deeper role than Thomas Partey. Rashford, when he's in form, probably. Quite a few teams. Yeah. But right now, I don't even know if he makes it into like a top half side. Maybe. I don't think he makes it into Chelsea's side. I'm trying to think of the other teams that I haven't listed in the top half of the table. Brentford, I guess. <laughs> United. That's why I think he should be benched. No. Not at the moment. Villa? Yeah, so this is kind of where it comes back full circle, man, is with all the issues going up top. Yeah, you know, no direction CEO from the director of football. They technically don't have that, a sporting director. The At least have a director of football. Will Jim Ratcliffe be the difference? And so where there's a wishy-washy position like that, it makes it difficult to get new players, to recruit, to make those kinds of right choices and manager. And it just relates to the yeah, overall seeping ownership into the roots of the club. club. I mean, you've seen the state or heard of the state of Old Trafford as well. I mean, it's one of the greatest stadiums in the world. It's supposedly the theater of dreams. It now looks, it's got overflowing toilets and stuff falling off the roof. 
pretty much sums up Man United as a club. Needs to be fixed from the inside out. Yeah. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun covering the Ballon d'Or. Messi winning that number eight. Huge upset as West Ham beat Arsenal in the Carabao Cup and just discussing the overall shambolic state of Manchester United. Make sure you guys are following us on our TikTok, Instagram. Join our Facebook group. Of course, check out our Redbubble cam. Get the sweet merch. On that note, we love you guys. Thank you so much. As always, cheers.